This week on Semi-Intellectual Musings, I had the privilege of chatting with public speaker, podcaster, educator, and disability advocate Jamila Gamble. Jam and I took a trip down to Sexual Rabbit Hole. We explored the dynamics of being public, why authenticity and self-branding is important, some practical ways we can be inclusive in our advocacy, and mindful when accommodating those with disabilities. This is Jamila Gamble, Just Slayed the Mic. Let me have my life reclaimed Waiting, wandering all of my life Trying to love you with all of my mind Welcome everybody to Semi-Intellectual Musings. I am Matt Sanderson, one half of the team, and today I have the distinct privilege to welcome onto the show Jamila Gamble public speaker, educator, disability advocate, and host of the podcast, Slay the Mic Podcast. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to Semi-Intellectual Musings, Jamila. Oh, thank you for having me. This is so cool. <laughs> I am so excited to talk to you. And off mic, you were saying you don't get an opportunity to be interviewed too Never! often. So, um, <laughs> so hate to be a spoiler of that there, but uh, this won't be an interview. It's going to be more of a conversation, <sighs> but I am really looking forward to having that conversation. It's an you. interview in my head. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, they'll uh, sit up straight then. <laughs> Got it. Um, so I found uh, Jam, which I'm going to start calling you right off the bat because apparently yes. everybody does. Everyone uh, does. So I found Jam on Facebook uh, a couple of months ago when she was launching the Slay the Mic podcast, asking this typical sort of newbie podcast questions like, how do I promote this thing? <laughs> What's that weird sound in the recording? How do I remove it? She even got into trouble from a Facebook admin for inappropriately posting an episode, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, any independent podcaster knows that this is a rite of passage that all of us have to go through. Mm. Um, when I started to kind of Facebook creep you a bit, <laughs> honestly, and Facebook creep your profile and all listening good, to your uh, podcast, uh, I was struck by your messages of empowerment uh, in your public speaking and also, honestly, your um, education educational work with people with disabilities. So those are two things I kind of want to get into mm-hmm. kind of right off the bat. Um, but for now, kind of tell our listeners about the podcast a bit. Um, what's the main message you're looking to convey in your so, podcast? So, yeah, yeah, I decided I'm a very impulsive person. And uh, I decided not too long ago, I was going to start a new podcast. And I, I don't like to overthink things. I just like to like jump off the cliff. And if I fall and I land, awesome. If I don't, okay, you know, I have nine lives. I'm a cat, right? So the podcast is called Slay the Mic Podcast. And it's it's basically an extension of my brand because I'm known as the slayer of the mic. So I do a lot of public speaking, um, whether it's conferences, workshops, uh, hosting events. Um, I've just kind of started calling myself the slayer of the mic. And I'm what your event needs. And your event event will not be as good if I'm not a part of it. So (laughs) you should have me. And um, I often got the question, like, how did you get into public speaking? Like, how do you how do you get up and talk in front of 600 people? Or how do you do? That was literally my next question. Why don't you you got into public speaking? Because that was exactly what I was going to (laughs) ask. Exactly. Well, and I I got the question so much. And 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 people were always asking, like, how do you get that confidence? And one night, I just decided to launch a program, a, a coaching program. And then I decided to take the coaching program to podcasting, where I interview public speakers in different fields. So not just, you know, the motivational Tony Robbins, but like if you're in sales, if you're in education, if you're in business, if you are a spoken word artist, how do you speak 
in front of people? What are your tips? What are your tricks? What have you been heckled? Like, how did you discover the speaker within you? It's just a really raw, honest and open conversation asking people how they're able to amplify their voice. So it's your audience then would be and for the podcast. Um, and then we'll talk about the speaking. Mm-hmm. Is anybody who's actually into speaking? Anybody, so yeah. Listening to people or speaking themselves. And Both. that's a pretty universal kind of kind of trait. So I wonder if we can dig in a little bit. What is mm-hmm. it about speaking in public that really gets you jammed up? <laughs> oh, I saw what you did there. Jammed up. I liked it. Um, I was I was that kid who got into trouble all the time for talking (laughs) all the time yeah 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 yeah. were Um, you a hand raiser or were you just i don't have uh, i was like i was like both i was a hand raiser i was a shouter outer i had it on my face like did you just say that like it was it was everything um and my mom you know growing up my mom was a single parent she was an immigrant and she just could not manage you know getting these comments from teachers on report cards or parent teacher interviews you know Jamila's a social butterfly Jamila never stops talking um if she stops socializing with others and focuses more on her work she could be a far stronger student and at the time she didn't understand I had a skill and I don't think any of my teachers understood it because education and we'll get into that later has really changed over the years and now we're we're applauding students who are strong communicators while back then I was the social butterfly so it only dawned on me until maybe three weeks ago that I've been doing public speaking since I was like 10 because I did the school announcements in elementary school. I did it in middle school. I did it in high school. So I've just been doing a lot of talking. And I just, I think it's just a, it's a really cool way to connect with other people. Okay. Wow. I took a few notes there. That is (laughs) fascinating as an anthropologist. That is fascinating to me. So um, where did you... Did you immigrate as well, or is your mother... So, my mom's from St. Lucia, um, and I was born in the U.S. Virgin Islands, so I came up when I was two. Um, So, Canada is really all I know, except I'm I'm pretty sure I took the warmth with me that I, I don't like winter, I don't do snow... I don't, I don't, I don't do it. That's not my thing. Um, but yeah, like growing up, seeing, seeing my mom, she, she was a single parent, but she took education very seriously. And again, Mm. she, she didn't get that, that when they were telling her your daughter's a social butterfly, she looked at it as a negative. And now I, I get paid for it. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> take that, mom. Yeah, no, take, no, not even mom. No, take no. that, teachers. teachers yeah. All of you people out there, you know who you are. Yeah. No more teachers' dirty looks, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. that's actually what I wanted to, like, I was planning on talking about the cultural stuff a little later, but this mm-hmm. is too fascinating to let go. Um, so I wrote down conformity versus creativity in an educational space. And then the cultural influences of both, like from your mother's background and then yeah. you coming into a different educational um, sphere. Mm-hmm. How how was that like trying to, from an early age, balance uh, multiple cultural forces within an educational sphere? Um, I think I wasn't aware of that. To be honest, um, my mom came up to Canada when she was young at first, and I think she was also like lost in translation herself, right? Um, finding herself as a as a young immigrant woman, um, and the first thing she figured she would do was go to school. So you know. She, her growing up as a young woman and having me at a young age, she was still finding herself and then she has to raise a young child, right? So she never um, really, ta- I don't think my mom ever really talked to me about race and culture. She just 
raised me to be a human, you know, go to school, be a human, be your best, do your best, be kind to others. It was only other people who made me aware of what culture and race was. So right. that wasn't really a, a discussion in our household. Right. And that's, um, you like kind of taking the words out of my mouth here. So settle down. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, that's <laughs> it's fascinating. It's hosting me. Be- because that is how it goes with um, racial perception of ourselves is that we are made aware of our own race um, through the interactions we have with other people mm-hmm. or in images we see in the media. So Which I didn't maybe- see. I didn't see that. Right. So, and and I you, know a lot of people you, say that. Hmm? Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say when you say you didn't see, didn't see it. yourself in the media. Yeah. And I think a like lot yourself? of people think it's so like cliche to say like, I didn't see myself. So. People for real. We didn't see ourselves. Okay? No, <laughs> like I it's legit. I grew up in Canada too. I, I we did not didn't. see people of color in the media. No. And if they were, they were token characters. On exactly. Like, you know, sitcoms, right? Yeah. And they're very character characterized or characters mm-hmm. of um and that is just simple stereotypes so yeah as please explore uh, in a free way i um, i didn't know what black educators were um i i think i knew what performers were but in terms of role models i had my first black teacher in high school <laughs> you know what i mean like i went all throughout elementary school all throughout middle school um actually i had one in middle school and she was very mean to me <laughs> So I think I, 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 I like eliminated her from my brain up until this moment. Um, and then I had one in high school and that was my first, you know, like someone who understood my culture and my upbringing. And I had a lunchroom supervisor in elementary school who was a black lunch teacher and she was my mother, grandmother, auntie in one. So that, you know, it was those few women who really were role models outside my home setting. My mom was, you know, forever my role model, but being in the classroom setting, those are people who I look to for for guidance and kind of like protection. So is this um, maybe combined with the talkativeness and the exuberance? Uh, is this uh, coupled with the politics of representation, as I'd call it in anthropology? Uh, is this what initially drew you towards exploring possibilities uh, in the media? No, um, how I got into media was a complete mistake. <laughs> uh, please tell us the story. I love these stories. Of how yeah, no, it, it's 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 true. It's not me trying to make it sound like cooler than it is. Um, so I went to school. Okay, let me let me fast back. Let me go like not fast back. Let me go back a little bit. So when I was in high school, um, when TLC used to be a channel you could learn from. Um, every year in high school, I changed my mind what I wanted to be. So I think in grade nine, I wanted to be. Uh, midwife and in grade 10 I wanted to do like interior decorating because of trading spaces and then CSI came out so I wanted to be like a CSI agent Um, and (laughs) yeah profiler I wanted to be like Grissom and then things shifted because Omarosa came on The Apprentice and Mm. this is when Omarosa was legit not now Omarosa but like back in the day Omarosa okay Um, so Omarosa was in my eyes the first, aside from Oprah, strong black woman on TV, prime time TV in business. And in grade 12, I started to discover myself as a student. I got into student council. So look, there's some more public speaking, right? I was doing student council. I was running a small business because I was taking an entrepreneurship course. And I saw her and I was like, I want to get into business. And my mom was heartbroken. She's like, you are not a business person. You do not have the heart for business. You have a heart for love, go love people, and maybe major in English in university. And I was like, what? Like, how do I love people and major in English? Like, what is this, Shakespeare? Like, I was I was totally like 
perplexed by her vision of me ma- you know, like majoring. a sonnet for you. It somehow. was so weird. And I, and I think that's that immigrant background, right? English. Teach English. Go major in English. And I'm like, what's English going to do for me? Nothing. You know, <laughs> like I've been doing English. So I was like all business focused. But during the summer, I was working in special needs summer camps. So I had this heart for working with people who had disabilities, but then I had this mindset of business, 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 business. So I originally enrolled in school for business, um, and then I, I dropped the course and I decided to go for developmental services, which focused on disability education. And from there, when I graduated, my mom was like, whatever you do, don't be basic. Like, don't do what everyone else is doing. Like, find other ways to take your craft of working with disabilities and 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 manifest it that way. And I made my own business cards on Microsoft Word. It was purple and lime green. I ordered a thousand of them. Um, I started calling myself a consultant. I started telling parents I could work with your children privately. And then somehow I, I, um, I decided I wanted to go on Rogers television and do an interview for autism awareness month. So I did the interview. I really didn't like it because I didn't like the questions they asked me. Um, I thought they were doing more of like a clinical interview and, you know, like, you know, this whole like I am Sam kind of thing. And I really didn't like how the interview went. So I decided to reapproach them with a new idea because I wanted to talk about how we as a community could better support parents who have children with disabilities in the community. And when I did the show pitch or request to be on a, as a guest online, I accidentally clicked show proposal and I accidentally pitched a TV show. <laughs> so... Sorry, can you explain that quickly one more time? <laughs> that last little bit there, like I so accidentally you, pitched you the, the TV wrong show. And found yourself yeah, on TV. <laughs> I clicked. I clicked show proposal, <laughs> and awesome. I thought I. I thought I was. I thought I was request. I thought I was like proposing the show I wanted to be on, and in fact, I was pitching a show. A show. And yeah, so the producer, so the producer's like, I want to have a meeting with you, and I was like, okay, sure. And so he's sure, like talking about the show. Yeah. yeah, and he's like talking about the show and what it could be like, and I was like, and then it, it hit me. I'm like, oh my god, this guy's talking about a TV show. So I did this whole fake it till you make it. And I was like, I'm more of like a solo artist. Like I don't really work well with like a team. Like I don't want to have like other people on my show. I just want to be like a solo artist. And I don't oh. know. Six seasons <laughs> later, I had a TV. I had a TV show for six seasons. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, where did it like? From what time period and like where was it broadcast out of? It was like- on Rogers Television. So it was okay. um, a local community station. And mind you, I had no TV journalism background or broadcasting background. Or I, I learned as I, I went along. I had the gift of gab. All I had to do was talk in front of a camera. So season one, I don't like watching it because I, I looked awkward. Um, season yeah. six, obviously, I'm a lot more comfortable. But I, you know, it was online. It was it was streamed um, on, on local community television. And it's at that moment that I started branding myself as a speaker because I feel that people see when they see you on tv then you must be legit so oh yeah yeah you get that stamp of approval stamp of approval fast tracked i got a fast track yeah and it's interesting that you say hey i didn't have any experience but the two names that came to mind is trailer park boys and uh tom green uh both who started on canadian like kind of public access sort of level tv and they probably just fell in backwards and found themselves like 
three episodes into the first season, like, oh man, we're really on TV, eh? Yeah, I think legit. they're actually filming. <laughs> yeah, uh, legit. that's wicked. Um, and I like how you kind of manufactured. So as you were talking about your brand and giving the backstory, I, I you know, as I do, jotted down a few notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote down, like, you know, you initially started in business, but not business like working for a corporation, more of an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, you also at the same time were doing advocacy work, uh, coupled with education, working in a summer camp for uh, disabled youth. Um, you seem to really gravitate towards this free-spirited freedom sort of entrepreneurial like do mm-hmm. it your own do your own thing yeah and then also from your mom like you gotta you gotta hit them with love right yes and it's yes. all ties into being unbasic <laughs> which I yeah think is i'm pretty sure most... my mom started the word basic she's like don't be basic <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> um and it's also it's like make something right like make an yeah. impact and mm-hmm. uh, i i like all of that um now who would you say your audience is, whether it's for your podcast or um, or the public speaking? Let's get more towards the public speaking now. So here's the thing. Um, I have a really wide net and it makes my brand a little bit harder, um, I find. But it's, it's, it's good hard in the sense that, you know, some people might go, OK, I'm only speaking to educators. Therefore, all, all my content's going to be education. But I do, you know, I teach I do workshops, I speak at conferences, I do event hosting. So I have a very wide audience. <laughs> so I really can't pinpoint them, but I, I I get to connect with people of all ages and backgrounds. I have kids following me, I have parents following me, I have business companies and corporations, and then I have school trustees and superintendents, and then I have the average Joe. So it's like, I got I got everything. Yeah, and that, um, I'm trying to dig through my notes, find the question that I wanted to ask you, but it was basically that. It was like, how do you make that balance between appealing to various niche audiences Mm -hmm. versus having a general appeal? Like, it seems to me that you embody multiple niche sort of dimensions, like whether they're sociocultural dimensions, um... But then that's what makes you generally appealing, like to a yeah. wider audience. And I would that's, agree. I don't think I'm meant to be in one category. Um, I don't like being categorized in one lane. I like to be like everywhere. It keeps me fresh and it keeps me awake. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized that, you know, maybe two or three years ago when I was looking at my email signature and it was like, Jamila Gamble, educator, DSW, consultant, TV personality. And it was just slash, 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 slash. And I was like, that's too many slashes. So I decided to make my own job title and I'm a connector of people, ideas and energy. So everything I do always comes back to connecting with people, their ideas and their energy. So that's how I put myself in like one category my goodness i wish i heard that like four years ago when i was still doing my phd that is perfect i would have uh, i would have quoted the the heck out of that in my thesis yes. um, i really like that um and it's also it's so much more unique you know it's so much mm-hmm. more you and when you say that i'm, I'm just still rattling around my head i'm like yeah it's kind of perfect yeah it is that it is it's everything to your podcast and i'm like that is what you're like so that's cool um can i ask you um, in terms of the politics of representation, as we call it in anthropology, mm-hmm. um, but more specifically being a public person, I wanted to ask you a question around that. Is this sure. for you like a process like to be public? And it, like, do you at times not want to be a public figure? Um, I think I'm a public figure with no expectations. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Can you explain more though? Um, just because I, I love teaching and I love talking to people and I love connecting and doing what I do, but I don't expect to always be on everyone's radar all the time. Um, and I think because my intentions are people and connections and forming meaningful connections versus every time I open my mouth, very rarely, very rarely do I sell myself. So if I was a public figure and I was like, by the way, get my latest book, by the way, do this. It's not that. It's usually me saying, by the way, I got to do this with these people today. And it was amazing. Right? Like, yeah, so totally. I don't, I, I, I know when to turn myself off. And I actually was just talking about that on Instagram today that I have been in a funk. I've been in a funk for maybe like a week and a half now, and I've not wanted to create content. I've not wanted to do live videos. I've not done anything because I just, I don't want to be in front of people. And I am allowed to do that because again, I'm a public figure with no expectations. Therefore, I also want you guys to expect that there's going to be times when I'm off and that's just how it goes. Yeah, I think you're entitled to your own time there, uh, mm -hmm. um, but I was wondering, like, connecting with people, that is a, a really powerful um, idea, and that is kind of the hallmark of anthropology. That's what we study is the connections between people. Mm -hmm. Same with sociology. That's what Phil studies as well. Um, now, I was wondering, when you say you're in a funk creatively, is that a funk that like you're having trouble producing your own content as like a solo individual versus like talking with me today um, or tonight. Um, is this difficult for you to get the energy up to talk to me right now? No, because um, usually it's me who's doing the interviews and getting the content and asking the questions. So for me, mm. it's like I'm sitting in the backseat and it's actually like a break. Um, but when I say I'm in a funk, I think one, the weather has been uh, playing a massive role in my mood that, you know, I need sun, I need heat and it's been cold and me it's too. been, yeah, yeah it's I'm really been affecting me. Tropical people, but I don't uh, need tropical. I, know, I feel you though. Yeah. No, I know I need like vitamin D, but also do you find the fluctuations in the, this might be a side note yes. to let us out, but fluctuations in weather messes you up because I've absolutely. been rocking migraines. It yep. I've had a migraine for like the past week and a half and it starts brewing Same. at eight and then it starts to kick off at 12. Like it's been like clockwork. So, Rock and um, roll. That, <laughs> that's, so we're a couple of migraine people with migraines go. just rocking a conversation. We should do a right whole now. interview on, on migraine like <laughs> times and frequencies. Well, you can um, go listen to our mini series called chronicity folks uh, available hey, now in this feed. Uh, it's all about, uh, I spoke to a few migraine sufferers actually and then huh. uh, with my um, I've had uh, pe people who listen to our show know I I've had at least 28 concussions since Whoa. my since I was 14 yeah so I, I did my master's and then into my PhD at Carleton doing research on concussions um, talking to people who have concussions and um, the chronicity series is really born out of like that research my own experiences and then I started finding that so many independent podcasters out there are doing so with some sort of ailment, uh, whether it's wow. you know, a chronic migraine sufferer, there's many people with mental health concerns, uh, lots of anxiety. Um, there's a few people with ADHD, <laughs> just to yeah. mix it up. Um, and we, there's something about the medium of podcasting that um, it's kind of available to people with disabilities. So that's why I'm like so interested in your in your work with people with mm -hmm. disabilities mm -hmm. um so i was wondering 
aside from the summer camp experience, um, like that being the spark. Oh gosh, the you. summer camp is just how the did spark. That, yeah, how did that lead yeah. into kind of a sort of? It, it seems like a devotional uh, mm-hmm. project for you. You seem very devoted to people with disabilities, and that's yeah, I, I am. That's why it I'm is so the, excited to talk mm-hmm. to you. So. It's the backbone of my, it's the backbone of my career. It really is. Um, So I've been in the field for 17 years, Uh, started at a summer camp. Um, I started just doing my volunteer hours. I had to get 40, 40 hours to graduate. And when I started, I did not know what autism was. I did not know what Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or epilepsy. I didn't even know what that was. I knew what a seizure was, but I had no understanding of uh, these different labels or diagnosis until I started in the summer camp. And originally it was just for my 40 hours and I came back and I worked for the city for city of Brampton for seven years. Um, And then that kind of just kicked me off into the field. And it has been it really is my my love and joy. Like I always joke, if I'm at a party and you ask me what I do for a living and I talk about my kids, I, I could go on forever. And you're going to find some way to like walk away from me and go, I-, I think someone's calling me at the bar. I'm like, no, no, they're not. Like, let me tell you another story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I really do love the uh, the families I've worked with. And it's not just the kids. It's the families who have welcomed me and trusted me with their children over the years that it has made me the speaker I am. It's made me the advocate I am. If I ever become a parent, I know exactly what kind of mom I'll be because I've been like a mom to some of my kids. So that's in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> so as a somebody who self-identifies like me personally matt speaking who self-identifies as disabled um i have a chronic illness uh, i applaud you and i think we need more people who are um you know, relatively able-bodied who are willing to be champions for individuals like myself it's um mm-hmm. difficult for disabled people to have to ask for accommodation over and over again. So I was wondering if this is a bit of a left, left-handed question, uh, but how do you strike that balance between trying to help people with disabilities versus allowing them to try to do things on their own? Like, how do you, um, how do, you do that in practice? I think being in the field for 17 years, um, that has really helped me. And um, I traditionally work with children who, children and adults who are nonverbal, right? So that's another ball game in itself, um, having to know when to promote independence and when to help with people who may not necessarily have the language to, to tell me no or to tell me, you know, to tell me yes. So um, I've always believed in promoting independence with my kids and my adults. And I've, I've seen, you know, I've taken their lead on, you know, when they need that help, when they, they want to do it on their own, that I've been in the community. And one time I was at uh, Chipotle, actually. And there was, <laughs> shout out to Chipotle, sponsor. Yeah, free plug. <laughs> sponsor, free plug. Um, guac, guac for life. Um, so they were, this woman was in a motorized chair and she was trying to look at the menu but the menu was the way the 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 storefront was she there was four or five people in front of her so she really couldn't see the menu unless she moved her chair her wheelchair out of the, the the line to get a better view and so i'm watching her trying to like pretty much break her neck to kind of get a glimpse of the menu and it was obvious she's never been to chipotle before so she doesn't know how it works and i'm standing in line and i'm going 
let her try it first. She's a grown woman. Let her do her thing. I'll step in when I need to step in. I'll know what I'll do. So my mom is standing next to me. My mom always enjoys these moments because she she could just see my body like twerking. Like, I got to go help them. And but the way I help them is not in a like, oh, I'm able body. Let me be your hero. You know, right. Um, It's just me. Usually when I do it. In all honesty, it's not to, you know, um, show my ableism and be like, I am your hero. I really and truly do it to show others around me. Do you see how easy it is for me to care? Do you see how easy it is for me to try to be more accessible? You could try it too. See? See how I did it? Look. So I usually do it to be a learning tool for other people. So there was menus. There was paper menus on the counter. And I grabbed a paper menu. I go, hey, not sure if you saw, but the paper menus here might be a little bit easier for you. She goes, well, thank you. And I left it at that. Done. Right? Done. No, thank- Here's the paper and- menu. Yeah. And, and that like, was it. Okay, so this is another dynamic. Um, I think that... We often feel guilty after helping somebody with a disability. Um, we feel guilty about feeling good about that. Like, I, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but is that mm. something you've ever thought about? Like Feeling uh, like, guilty after I helped? Yeah, like... No. You, you... How do I put this in words? Um, I've been out in the community and I've, I've done a lot of observation. And usually I, I observe before I step in. And... I find that a lot of these families that I've seen in public or whether it's an individual, um, they're just trying to, to either, you know, get through something or get some, you know, reach for something. And I think part of them, you know, they want that help. But right. who do you really, you know, what are the chances that somebody walking around has that experience? What are the chances that somebody in this space has, you know, operated a Hoyer lift, who knows how to fix your sling coming out of your wheelchair, who knows how to help you take your jacket off and there's a special trick you do with the elbow? I know how to do that. So if I know that and I know you need that in that moment, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to I'm going to ask you first. Always I ask. And then I'm going to give it to you if you're willing to accept it. I saw a mom one time. Um, she was across the street and her son was having like a stage 20 meltdown and he was like flaring himself like on the floor, like right next to moving cars and she's signing to him to, to calm down. And so I know a little bit of sign. So I just went over and I asked her if she wanted help. I signed, do you want help? And she said, she signed back. No, thank you. And I go, okay, cool. And I walked off, you know, Hmm. like, no, there's no, I, I, I'm always, I'm not doing what I do in public for, look at me. I understand disabilities. Yeah. I'm doing it because I've been doing this for 17 years. And if I, and there's so many times I've walked away and I'm like, but I wanted to help. I know, I know. <laughs> and I just got to walk away because they're grown adults and I can't do it. I can't do it. And I walk away because I know it's not my place. And so I'm, yeah. this is why I, as soon as I saw your first few posts, first listen of your podcast um i'm like okay you have your heart in the right place i have tremendous amount of respect for you i can tell that your intentions are are pure Mm -hmm. um and as somebody with a disability and somebody who's had chronic post-concussion symptoms for the last 18 years let's just say i don't know um i am really good at sussing out people's intentionalities when they're helping Mm -hmm. me Mm-hmm. or 
looking at me weird if I happen to be walking with my cane, which I don't do anymore, but I, I do have to at some times. I yeah. can see people watching me. so. And I don't understand I can, yeah. that. Like, I, I don't get it either. So your work with people with disabilities seems like it's giving you a tremendous amount of empathy, which um, it, it's not that it's rare with able-bodied people because I'm not that cynical, but mm -hmm. it's, it is um, a very unique and admirable quality is well, what thank I think you. I want to say. You know, my, my love doesn't just, you know, stay in the classroom. It's very easy for people in my field to do this for a paycheck. And I could I could say with, you know, I don't care. I do this because it really is, it brings me that much joy. Like I had a student one year who um, was the flower girl at our wedding. And she, as soon as my, my now husband proposed, I was like, oh my God, Angelique is going to be our flower girl. Like that's the first <laughs> thing I'm planning is Muffin awesome. Mix is our, is our flower girl. Muffin and Mix. I, that's her nickname. Yeah. Muffin, <laughs> <laughs> Muffin Mix. That's our little, shout that's out to adorable. Muffin Mix. Um, she's our Muffin Mix. And I realized that you don't have to go to school or take a course to be empathetic or understanding towards people who may have a disability. My husband comes from a culture where they may not be very patient and understanding towards people who have a disability. And when he met me, he basically had to learn quick, real quick, what I do and how you have to, to conduct yourself. And I started bringing Angelique home because I did respite with her on the weekends. Um, so I'd have her all week at school and then I'd have her on the weekends. And um, it was a taste for my my husband to understand what a, having a child with a disability is like. So when she wakes up at six o'clock in the morning because she needs her medication by the hour, this is what we have to do. She's nonverbal, how are you gonna communicate with her? She needs this, what are you gonna do? So this little girl has um, Rubenstein uh, Taby syndrome um, and the beginning signs of it is glaucoma in your eyes. And my husband, fell madly in love <laughs> with Angelique <laughs> and the two of them are besties. Like she loves me, but she loves Alex. Like she loves Alex. And this is the guy who does not have his degree in the DSW, who hasn't worked in the educational system. He has a heart and he has seen how I That's model awesome. myself and he's learned it. And now when we're out in the community, if he sees someone toe walking or if he sees someone stimming, he gets it. Oh, that's someone with autism. Or when my kids come home, he, he treats them like a kid, like he understands it. So when I see that he gets it, I'm like, what's everyone else's excuse? You know, like you don't have to be clinically trained or professionally trained. You just have to have a heart. And th that's the criteria. And I love that um, you're speaking about your man and how he has a heart and I think that goes to show you that some of these assumptions about gender mm -hmm. um, and how men are supposed to act are just that they're assumptions and they can just be kind of cast to the side uh, they are they're just flimsy um, I want to share a quick story and then we'll take a brief break for sure. a musical interlude and uh, Maddie can stretch his legs um, but my very good friend uh, Chris uh, DC, he's been mentioned on the podcast before. He was the best man at my wedding. Uh, very best friend since grade five. His uh, partner, Allie, is a um, somebody who is a care worker for people with disabilities in, in classrooms. So she's a teacher's aide, I guess mm -hmm. is what they would be called here. 
Um, Educational assistants, teaching assistants, teachers' aides, there's it. all kinds of yeah. names. All depending on your qualifications and what. All depending on the school board. Yeah, all exactly. depending on the school board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and what they want to recognize. So, mm-hmm. um, on like like yourself, she has um, a student who she takes care of after hours at her home, and Chris has just had his heart melted over this kid. He's, if I had to describe Chris, he's about six foot one. Big old ZZ Top beard, tattoos up and down at both arms. Mm-hmm. Big old bear of a guy. Nice guy, right? Nothing scary about him, but he looks like he might be. Uh, but he is just like a gem with this kid. And uh, he speaks about this kid in the same way that you speak about uh, muffin mix. Yes. <laughs> so that's great. And um, you know, you know, it's good when, you know, we have a weekend off and my husband's like, can we go get muffin mix this weekend? You know, like what guy who doesn't have kids is asking to take care of a kid for the weekend. Got yourself a winner there. Um, So we'll take a brief pause for a musical interlude. This week, we are pleased to play the melodically electronic, but also acoustically authentic tunes of Gigi Edgley. You might recognize her as Chiana or Pip from the highly underrated, in my opinion, sci-fi series Farscape. Thanks to Jenna from the Meet Me in the Woods podcast for making this connection. Be sure to check out her show and give it a five-star review. It's as amazingly unique as the Geninator is. Gigi and Jake Edgley have just set out on a globetrotting tour, and to quote their website, to share the love. With all the craziness going on in the world, it's time for us to help each other out, get together, forget about our worries, and have a jam. Because life's too short not to. I think that fits in well with Jamila's ethos. You can follow the Wanderland tour at www.wanderland.love and on Twitter at WanderlandTime. All one word. This is Gigi and Jake Edgley's cover of Stand By Me. Stand by. 
be joined by Jamila Gamble, who is a podcaster, public speaker, educational advocate, great person, heart of gold, <laughs> all these things. <laughs> so, Jem, as I'm going to be calling you from now yes. on, I have a bit of a confession. Oh, do tell. It's okay. It's very difficult for me to admit this, so I need a little bit of a safe space here. It's okay. We're all here for you. But I feel like I have to. The reason I initially contacted you was because ah, this is really tough politics oh and representation here, but you just look so darn cool. Yes! Yeah, you just seem to have buckets of confidence. You're quite stylish. And by the way, yes! I'm quite the authority on the matter. I have seen every single episode of Project Run- Runway, including the European and the international yes! ones. Um, and you seem to enact quite literally your politics of inclusion and advocacy in everything you do. So I got to ask, how intentional is this process of embodying and projecting your own personal brand? Oh, it is. Oh, my God. What's the process like? I just do me, man. <laughs> it's just like, that is it. If somebody else is doing it, I feel creeped out. And I pride myself on being original. I pride myself on on being me. Um Going back to my mom, when I grew up, she would always say, if it doesn't have my daughter's name in it, I don't want to hear it, okay? Anything wow, you really? tell me, yeah. So I'll be like, well, Sandy, I don't care about Sandy. Is Sandy you? Did I raise Sandy? Did I give birth to Sandy? I did not. I'm like, oh my God, you know? So she, she's always, from the time I was a child, raised me to be uniquely me, to stand out, to do my own thing. So with my brand, um, I find a lot of people follow brand rules, and I'm like, rules, ew. <laughs> I don't, I don't do that <laughs> yeah so. and that's that's what i'm that's why i'm actually interested in hearing <laughs> what your brand is then because your brand is you and so yeah, you've mentioned me. before so i i'm the social scientist i will take yes. out the themes uh yes. <laughs> that sounded very uh, let conceited. me put my sun, my glasses on and sound and look very dignified <laughs> yes absolutely yeah push them up with your middle note uh, finger I did. and don't I did. even acknowledge it that I you did. just flipped off the whole room okay so um so one of the first things you said was you practice sort of like a humanism. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that your mom made you like the shininess star in the galaxy, you know. Uh, um, your biggest fan is your mom. Uh, mm-hmm. My biggest fan is my mom. How did you not become conceited and self-centered? Why are you instead everybody else's biggest fan? Oh, geez. Um... How did I, that, that's a really good question. I'm not usually stumped on questions. I am stumped. I'm stumped because I don't think that's ever crossed my mind. Um, Me I, that's I'm, why, I, that's why I asked you. Yeah, it's never crossed my mind. It's never I've crossed my mind. In this, in a weird I, way I look very, I look, I may look very flashy and I may look very like boom, 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 but I am very shy in my own way so like my husband my husband's my photographer i hate public photo shoots i don't like people watching me um and you can see all you can see in all of our vacation pictures you could tell when people are around because the look on my face like hurry up and take the picture because i don't i don't like people looking at me so i don't like it (laughs) just picturing all the pictures i've had from any vacation i've taken with my we're like in europe we're like in the most beautiful spot in europe i don't want to pose in front of this vienna castle (laughs) uh, and he's like screw you and he you know puts everything together and he walks ahead of me um i think i think i'm just i i know that 
a new person could pop up at any time. You know what I mean? And you could go out of style at any time. And my focus is not to be in style. It really is just to be comfortable in my skin and to be who I am and to just do what I do the best I can. So I don't try to compare myself to anybody. I don't look at other people's styles and techniques and go, mm, I should incorporate that because if it doesn't feel like jam, it's not meant for jam. I just spoke in third person. I feel pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Matt <laughs> thinks that's great. Um, I spoke so, in third person. I feel so bougie. <laughs> let's take a right hand turn and uh, let you redeem yourself on this one. Yes. Um, so how do you try to inspire women and why is it important to you? And honestly, like, um, like, what do you think the, the effects of your speaking to women, to audiences of women, what do you think these effects are on like political, social, cultural, gender mm-hmm. sort of racial, generational? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think these effects will be uh, your message of like inspiration and empowerment? I don't think I go out with the intent to inspire women um because i think once you get into that if you think with that intent then you might get yourself in a rut when you're not able to so i go out oh interesting that yeah sorry that is an interesting way of putting it um that if you go out with this grandiose i'm going to inspire people yeah and if you don't you'll beat yourself up Um, exactly it's something i avoid i've uh Something I avoid is being like some sort of like, hey, look at this guy with all these concussions, like sounding super eloquent. And mm-hmm. when people tell me, Matt, you're wow, you sound so smart. I can't believe you've had so many uh, brain injuries. I'm like, oh, well, that's like hurts everybody <laughs> in a weird way. And it's hard it to does. explain why that is tough for somebody with a disability to hear. But it's basically without them intending to do it it's kind of discounts mm-hmm. the work I get that. right yeah so it's interesting when like i've seen you speaking to uh groups of women i um small groups of women uh many of whom are women of color um so i am just as an anthropologist i'm fascinated by that process of how do you engage with um audiences that are full of women and what are some of the messages you try to convey then rather than I- trying to inspire um, I think when I speak to women, so one time I had to, and I think this is probably my most impactful talk I've ever done, to, d- done with women before was, uh, ah, awesome. it was, Thanks. it was, it was a high, <laughs> it was a high, it was a high school talk for International cool. Women's Day. And it was about 200 high school students and their teachers. And they wanted me to come and talk about, you know, being this woman, rah, rah, rah. And, you know, and I, and I find a lot of times when some women speak, they you know, they make it seem, I don't want to say easy, but it's like, look at all the things I'm doing. You can do this too. When I tell the girls, I was once you, <laughs> I legit, I was once you, I was hella confused at one point. I'm still trying to find myself as a woman. I never profess to be this woman who's made it and understands everything and gets who she is. I've never done that because there are days where I feel, I feel low and I need some inspiration. And I don't have any inspiration in me to give. So when I go out and I speak to women, I really just make them see like what being real and comfortable in your skin is. And then if they want to be inspired by that, awesome. You know, so I spoke to this group and I said, you know, it's really easy when we have International Women's Day or Women Crush Wednesday that we put celebrities. When was the last time you shouted out your mom? 
Like, who wants to come up here and get their mom a shout out? Well, I didn't realize. Yeah. That po- I didn't. I didn't I, realize. I'd jump up and be like, yeah, mama. No, yeah, Sue Sanderson. Matt, you you no. don't even understand what happened. I I posed that question, and one girl came up and she's like, I just want to shout out my mom because she's a single parent and she works three jobs and she cleans offices at night. And then poof, flood work of tears. Next girl got up. I just want to shout out my mom because um I want to be a politician and I don't think I could because I'm really overweight and my mom makes me feel that I'm beautiful anyways and then this other girl yelled you are beautiful and then it was like flood works and it just became this just it was the most powerful moment i have ever been a part of and really when i go and i talk to women i don't go i do not profess to be a motivational speaker i am not a motivational speaker i'm not an inspirational speaker i am a speaker and when i go up there i show people i am comfortable in my own skin and you can be too i did a talk a couple weeks ago to a girls group and i go i came in here trying to impress y'all but the truth is my feet are hurting in these heels can i take them off and they're like yeah and i kicked off my heels and i did my talk barefoot it was just That's like awesome you know what i mean so i really want women to see that you have a voice you have a message you have ideas whatever it may be do not wait for someone to give you a permission slip just go like just go i i'm not waiting for a green light i just go and the only person i ever worry about is my mother (laughs) so you know like just go out there and do it just be comfortable it it really does come back to being comfortable in your own skin so when even when people see me and they see my hairstyle they're like oh my god you're so edgy no i don't want to be called edgy i'm i'm i i just have a cool hairstyle you got yeah you got a cool hairstyle like that like but i got a super dorky hairstyle so like every other hairstyle comparison is pretty cool yeah uh, so. to each their own but it's just and it's i i've learned to become mean, like, what, comfortable what are with you gonna me? judge somebody on like their hairstyle and the fact that they wore a leather jacket in some photo shoot like um oh, wow, she's you'd be edgy. surprised i actually off topic i i um i auditioned for say yes to address canada and yeah. um they really? I, yeah <laughs> that's yeah awesome. that's my wife's like one of her favorite shows. yeah 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 she might have seen my episode if she watched the canadian the canadian version um so i i applied at nine o'clock and they called me at 12 and they said oh my god the first thing we notice about you is your hair and when you talk you just talk with such like force now it makes me wonder it really makes uh-huh. me wonder you know because i've been in some situations media wise that um as a as a woman of color, as a black woman, yeah, every that's time what I was gonna ask you, yeah, yeah every please. time I speak with passion and power, it's like, whoa, you are strong, you are powerful. Not that I'm well spoken. I never get you are well sp- spoken. No one ever really says you're articulate. It's like you are powerful. You you're unapologetic. Uh, what? I, I wasn't. Unapologetic. I wasn't doing anything to be sorry about. Like, what are you people talking about? You know, oh, like, right. yeah. <laughs> I, I did an, an interview on CBC, and he goes, "What's it like being a black woman in front of these, you know, youth?" I go, "Well, I'm a woman, and I'm black, so let's just clarify that." You know, like, mm-hmm. it's so I feel that um, as a black woman, I feel like I almost have more to prove as a speaker um i've been in situations where i i've i've voiced my opinion that's a fair statement yeah yeah yeah, i've voiced my opinions on things and i had a man told me one time you know you know you're being really aggressive right now and i said please don't mistake my passion for aggression because 
I don't know if it's because we don't see a lot of women of color who are speakers. And, and when we do, it's like, whoa, right? Like everyone's so shocked. So when I represent out there, I represent that, you know, one, women could speak, two, women of color has something to say, and three, for the students who are growing up, now they have a ton of role models that they could look at. I did not. I did not have any speakers aside from Oprah to be like, oh my God, there's a, a woman of color, you know, speaking and speaking her story and her passion and, and quote unquote being unapologetic about it. You know what I mean? So when I speak, I really, I, I speak with passion. I speak with confidence. I speak with the intent to make people feel good, you know, make you feel good make you learn something new and and to connect with you like that's what it comes down to and and sometimes it's a little bit harder um i've i I definitely feel like i've had to declare and that's why i think where slayer the mic came from is i'm not waiting for you to invite me to speak i'm speaking you're gonna listen i'm coming i'm coming (laughs) i'm I'm coming coming. what time seven try to stop me the front door i'm coming up yeah i'm coming up there so i've declared (laughs) that i am a speaker I'm not waiting for an invite. I'm not waiting Mm. for you to fill your quota of, do we have a diverse person? I'm, I'm, I'm there. Some tokenism. Yeah. And that's, that's powerful. Like that's creating your own space. Mm -hmm. And that is, I don't know, just as some white guy from, from Surrey, BC. Uh, But uh, to me, that seems like a powerful woman of color. And as an anthropologist, I know like I can give everyone schooling, but it's basically like, race and gender are two of those things that are inescapable and and if you have people kind of hitting you with these expectations it can make it really challenging well, but what i find is powerful is that you you play within those expectations and then you also defy them it seems like well let me let me tell you something that was really interesting um mm. being a speaker one of the hardest things sometimes is to state your price <laughs> right <laughs> totally. and um that's a whole other podcast in itself. But um, one time I got invited to do a talk and it was a pretty big talk. It was a talk I've, you know, for an audience I haven't been out to or an opportunity that hadn't yet been presented to me. And I was a little bit nervous about it. And I spoke to um, someone who I, I don't call people a mentor, but if I had to, I would say this person's like a mentor because I very much admire um, their drive and, and, and what they've done to get where they are. And so I said, you know, this opportunity is coming my way. They want to know my price. I'm kind of freaking out. He's like, well, what's your number? I go, I don't want to tell you my number because what you charge people, I would have like a panic attack before I issue that number. So I certainly don't want to tell you what I think I'm worth. And so I said, well, I was thinking of charging. No, no, I'm not telling you the price. He goes, well, I'll let you know what you should charge. I go, okay, what do you think I should charge? So he gave me a number, which I then started to hyperventilate about. And I said, are you mad? He goes, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. You are a woman and you are a woman of color. And those now we are in the day and age where people finally want to pay and hear from you. There's going to be a time where nobody wants to hear me and my Caucasian self. They want to hear you. So state your price, be comfortable in it and know that you are worth that. And I think I was a little bit in that dark zone because I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be speaking to a, a predominantly non ethnic audience. And I kind of got and said, hold, will they think I'm worth that as a person of color? It was, it it was really twisted. It was a really twisted thinking that I got myself into. Um, but my friend set me straight. (laughs) So it was, it was good. 
Do you feel like you need um, people in your, like, you know, friends, um, your husband, uh, people like that in your your immediate, like, real-life circle to kind of keep you in check or also remind you? So, like, keep your ego in check but also remind build you up so that you have an ego because uh... I, it kind of struck a chord with me. I'll just say quickly, it struck a chord with me when you said everybody sees me as outgoing. Um, but I'm actually really shy. That's yeah. exactly how I describe myself. People see me as like really exuberant and outgoing, like even though it's on my tone of voice, but that's the brain injuries. Uh, but mm-hmm. people see me as like outgoing and confident, but I'm very shy person. I've always have mm-hmm. been. So I was wondering if you can talk about this process of needing to be built up, but then also keeping yourself in check. My so mom, my mom builds me up. And then she also reminds me to sit down and be humble <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> right. Um, I don't. Okay. I, I have an ego, but it's not in public speaking. It, there is and it isn't. So before I go up on stage, before I host an event of 600 people, do I have to do a bit of an ego check? Absolutely. I have to get myself fired up to go out there and host in front of 600 people. But if there's one area where I, I pride myself on being that person, it's not in public speaking. It's in the classroom. It is in the classroom. I mm-hmm. yeah. I I love to be known as the person who got through to that kid. I love to be known love as the that. person who yeah. who figured out some really last minute idea that works, the strategy or got through to family. My track record is impressive. It is impressive. I think I, 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 I got a student go this girl, year. I love this. Yeah, I'm seriously. I got it. I got us. I got. I got a student this year, and this kid hated me from the jump. And I told my mom nice. he hates me. And my mom's like, "You'll conquer him, Jay. You'll you conquer him. them all. Like, You'll break him. You'll conquer him. Show me a kid that you haven't broken yet." I go, "Mom, oh, I stop making a scene. Like I am like the queen of like you know understanding kids. I can't get through to them all." She goes, "You're psyching yourself out. You're gonna." get through to him i go mom he hates me cusses me out every every day she goes you'll get through to him it'll come pray on it <laughs> well september to november this kid hated me december to now we're best friends so my mom goes what did i tell you what did i tell you <laughs> i was like wow. oh my god so that's where my ego comes out that's where it comes out yeah. not really in public yeah. speaking but i really pride and big up myself for the fact that i am good with what i do in the classroom yeah i like that that Wow, that got me fired up. Like, oh, I, missed the, I missed the classroom. And for me, the podcast is like Your an classroom. outlet for, yeah, it's a teaching outlet. And especially our show, it's like, it's kind of nerdy that way and stuff. But um, I also tutor a couple of kids. And like, I do that because of that passion. I need mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's worth so much more than the small amount of money that I might make off of tutoring. Like it's just yeah to give yeah. me that serotonin load so that I don't sure, have to take antidepressants. Sure. <laughs> so, oh my God, that uh, is so true. Like I had a week one time, I had a terrible week at work and I went and I got muffin mix actually. And I got another, I got another one of my little girls too. And I went to chapters with her and we had ice cream at McDonald's and I just, had to do something that had no red tape and no politics. And I just got to be with someone who had no expectations and didn't view the world in a certain way. And we just had a good time together. So yeah, I often do that with my kids. That's awesome. And now it seems like um, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm, I'm getting your brand. I'm nailing it down. So some other, uh, if you figure out my brand, let me know. (laughs) 
it's, you'll listen back to this and we'll you'll figure it out i'm still yeah. figuring so, out myself i like um so i got three points here honesty mm-hmm. self-reflexivity so you're Ooh. very critical of yourself mm-hmm. and humor yes and that combination you know yes. and that is like so you with your self-reflexivity you're not going to get too down on yourself because no. you can i love making self-deprecating jokes at myself yes. <laughs> basically yes. and um i could be brutally honest like in my um in anthropology one methodology is called reflexivity and you just basically use your own experiences as a researcher to mm. um get closer and you know get more info out of your informants uh but oh my god um, i do that all the time <laughs> i me too i that's what made me when i finally got to anthropology after spending some time in archaeology uh and a whole bunch of other things along the way um it was that concept where i was like oh this is my discipline um and if you're ever interested uh the guy's name is renato risaldo and uh, he kind of coined the and popularized the idea of um, using our own experiences as a research tool in anthro so Mm. it's interesting that you do that in your work with um in your disability work you do that in your public speaking it's in your brand it's it's just in your ethos it's it's how you perform it's with honesty self-reflexivity and humor so i was wondering Mm -hmm. if you could speak to that a bit um, I feel that when I when I do workshops or conferences, um, the reason why I could wing it all the time is because of I guess those three points you just you know brought out there. Like I never even realized that I it, it takes someone else pointing it out for you to realize that yeah, that's totally. what you do and that's your style. Um, and I, I I treat every audience like a new audience, so I don't come out with the same jokes mm. or the same you know presentation it's unique every time because i really do feed off of my my audience's energy it's kind of like i love coldplay side note and every time i watch a coldplay concert i'm like he's gonna say this and he's gonna do that because that's what chris martin does he lies down for fix you every single time that's what he does when i speak people could honestly say i've never seen jam do the same thing twice because Mm. it's it's just it, it comes alive in the moment and i think my brand, whatever it is, um, it's almost like a chameleon, I find, that it really does adapt to who I'm working with. And, you know, who they are brings out another side to me. So I feel like my brand is forever changing. It's almost like a Pokemon. Like, I feel like I'm constantly evolving. Like, one minute I was Pikachu, and now I'm Raichu. <laughs> That's awesome. And then you got some sort of armor upgrade. Uh, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that, that's very interesting. And, um, so your speaking is active and it's, um, it's alive, you know, and for sure, and I yeah. think, um, I can relate to that in the classroom where no two lectures are ever the same. And then I also have heard that from a lot of stand up comedians, um, the really good ones, the real top level stand up comedians, they, they don't have an act anymore. They have jokes they tell. But every performance is different. And that's what's going to keep you fresh. That's really interesting. And Mm podcasting is probably the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, one of your guests on on your show, um, Slay the Mic podcast, um, it was episode three, actually. Um, It was the educator. Oh, my God. You're listening to it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no, it's great. I I really like (laughs) you. I think you're going to be very successful, actually. Um, And I've been listening to podcasts for, yeah. And I've been listening for like nine years to different podcasts. So. I think you're going to be good. You're you're a good interview. Um, so your guest was talking about um, telling stories in the classroom and how that could be used as a teaching tool mm-hmm. and also getting audiences engaged with the material. Mm-hmm. How do you try to use storytelling without being 
redundant because apparently a lot of public speakers nowadays are calling pitching themselves as storytellers or corporate Ooh. storytellers or digital Ooh. storytellers uh, or some yeah. of the monikers that were thrown around so how do you i'm the slayer make the mic, and tell, period <laughs> yeah like how do you make and tell stories but then also make it organic so the two things I always tell my my clients and my audiences when it comes to slaying the mic is know your content, know your audience, and then the story mm. comes to life after that. Um, so my story is always changing because I obviously have my main story if people want to know my main story, but I always bring up examples and my examples is always something that's going to be relevant to my audience. So about a month ago, I did a keynote. I was talking about 21st century learning and I spoke a lot about um, being a 21st century learner and educator. But then when I tell my story, I always want it to be a story that my audience could identify with. So it's it, it's the way I tell it. It's not like, oh, everyone gather around now as I tell my story. Story time. <laughs> you know, story time with Jam, right? It's like, this is my story, yeah. But how many of you have been in this position before? How many of you have been that teacher? So you become a character in my story. You identify with some part oh, of my story. So interesting. I, I really, re I don't like when I do public speaking, when I have to like introduce myself, I go, I'm Jam, connects with people, ideas and energy. So let's just get into it, <laughs> you know, like, because I don't want to go on about myself forever. So when I do tell a story, it's a story that it's more of like a lesson versus all mm. about me. And so I feel that my story is never redundant because it changes every time and I and I modify it to suit the audience. So if I'm speaking to teachers, there's a version of my story. If I'm teaching to kids, there's a raw you know, version of my story. So when I talk about authenticity to teachers, it's gonna sound one way. But when I talk about authenticity to students, I go, hey, you know how Facebook has that feature where it tells you what you did a year ago? Let's read my, my Facebook status from a year ago. Oh Lord, that is embarrassing embarrassing, but I'm going to read it to you, right? So hmm. that's how authenticity comes out in that story to students. So it's never the same thing because one, I'm, I'm team wing it. I'm not team prepare it. And two, I base it off of my audience. Interesting. So it's almost like you're interviewing your audience and you're interviewing yourself at the same yes. time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. And that must be from the uh, the years of experience um, with the interview-based show that you had on Rogers, right? Yeah, for sure. Th that show taught me so much. And for Gotta a while, like I was... Too. I think, yeah, yeah. I think season one, I was trying to channel my inner Oprah. And then by yeah. like season <laughs> two or three, I was like, I'm not Oprah. I'm Jam. Yeah. And Jam is sweeter. So, <laughs> you know, every year I, I find a different part of myself. And now, you know, this year I tell people, you know, toast is great and all, but it's better with Jam. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and if you were like oh i get it i see what you did there <laughs> um, so yeah i get you know i'm comfortable with what i do that's awesome and uh, you sound very comfortable but also very self-effacing um now we spoke a little bit off mic um but you did mention that you self-identify as christian um mm -hmm. Personally, um, I don't self-identify as Christian, but I do self-identify as agnostic. I always kind of have. Um, but part of this faith in ag agnosticism for me is kind of cherry-picking from various religions and mm -hmm. kind of mooshing mush them all together into my own sort of brand of humanism is actually yes, kind of how yeah. I describe My mom's kind of like that. Yeah. So, like, anywho, um, do you see volunteer volunteerism, like your work as a volunteer, Mm -hmm. um, as stewardship or shepherding or devotional or, um, with the work with the marginalized people or put another way, is it kind of like a calling for you to try 
to find ways to build up others? Oh, I feel like this is like a really like deep question. This is gotta, the deep one. Yeah. I got to get like my blankie out for this one and like wrap myself in it. Um, that's me channeling my inner Terry Gross. So I like it. I'm muse. digging it. I've just dimmed the lights in my office right now for this question. Um, I find that when I volunteer, I have a saying that I, I use a lot. I get paid in three ways. I get paid in obviously monetary, you know, checks. PayPal, tap, you know, whatever. Um, yep. I get paid in opportunities and exposure, but I, the best form of payments is in blessings and you don't have to be religious to get paid in blessings. So I like to feel that my blessing bank is over, you know, flowing because I was raised to, to give, um, and, and to just be, a source of something for people. And again, it's it's the intent, right? When I go out there and I give back, I don't go out with the intent that I'm going to give back and I want everybody to know what I did. I just, you know, whatever I'm called mm -hmm. to do at that moment, I go and I do it. And that's one of my favorite sayings that my wife says, um, she didn't coin it herself, comes from the Bible, uh, but it's uh, something to the effect of um, don't let your uh, right left hand see what your right hand's doing or oh like that. yes it, yes mm -hmm. yeah and it refers to like the tithing played in uh, uh church but it also refers to volunteerism and charity work so if mm -hmm. you do charity work don't make a big deal out of it because that's actually kind of evil I, I would consider it so that's what i was really interested with yeah you would never that, like, you very rarely if you were to go through my social media i don't think you'd ever see me posting something like today i volunteered at the soup kitchen no, you no. you wouldn't see that because no. a lot of what i do is behind the scenes like volunteering is not necessarily to me um you know going somewhere and doing you know, community work. It could be the fact that I have a, a, a friend calling who needs some help with her child and I could be on the phone with her for two hours giving her some strategies mm. and things like that. Am I now going to go do a post about that and say, yeah. you know, I had a good time talking to so-and-so about her, ch her, her child? No. So I, I'm very uncomfortable with that act. Um, mm. I don't like putting things out there. The way I treat social media is um, if it's not making me money, I'm not posting on it. So <laughs> I'm not... Sweet. Yeah, I'm not putting things out there to get recognition or yeah. attention or awareness or anything. I know what I do, um, and, and, and that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, and that's like I got a little – like you just see passing references. Like there's a passing reference it, to it um, on your website, something else in some other post, maybe uh, not a post, but something else I saw somewhere else on social media. Just a little reference, but I'm like – I can't even remember. I, I can't know, even remember me, the things I've done. So, person with a disability, as I mentioned earlier, I am acutely attuned to that stuff. That's the mm -hmm. thing that jumped right out of the page. I'm like, that's why I want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. um, and the dimension that the reason I wanted to talk to you and I was so excited is because you are not a self-aggrandizer. You do this work and you're quiet about it. Um, something I don't talk about on the podcast I uh, might have mentioned it once uh, just because I get excited about it because it's in the classroom. <laughs> but I volunteer once a week. It's all I can really handle um, at a language school for new Canadians um, Ooh, that's in cool. Ottawa here. I, I think it's pretty cool. That um, is very, pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And it's uh, like, I, 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 I like it. Um, and like I, the gift of language. Like that's, it, it's the that's best. pretty And dope. then for me with my anthro background, it's like a, it's like a Petri dish of like cultures, right? So mm -hmm. like, I'm like, oh, where are you from? What's that like? <laughs> you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. Going nuts on in there. Um, so 
for me, that's like my payment. Um, but I also, yeah, it's just kind of kind of evil when you you promote your own sort of charity. To me, it's work. awkward. Yeah. It's really it's I don't even ex- I don't even handle <laughs> compliments well. You know, like I, I it's it's awkward. It's really weird for me. And um, my mo- I think again, shout out to my mom. She's just she's raised her children not to be like that. And so I think it's rubbed off on me and um, I'm cool with that. I don't need everyone knowing every little thing I do. And I and, and if I do put things out there about my kids and working with people with disabilities, it's because I'm celebrating a really big milestone for them. And I, I, I'm like, I'm in proud mom mode and I want to share it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's proud mom mode. And uh, I, I call my students, even the adult students that I work with on Tuesdays, mm-hmm. I call them my kids. See, like, there you go. Yeah, man, People always ask here. me. People always <laughs> ask me like, oh my God, God your kids? Like how many kids do you yeah. have? Like, well, I think like, I didn't birth all of them. Like I didn't push them out or anything, but like. Uh, they're like my kids. I I love and I'm fierce for them, like they are my own. I I'm v- like I become that parents that I know mm. the parents I work with. A lot of them don't know how to be fierce, so I've taught them to be that fierce parent so that I could step mm. back, you know. And and one of the parents I worked with, he was oh, he, he was that dad who, um, you know, really didn't think his daughter with autism would be anything that she would be right. able to, you know advocate for herself or mm. have a job and he had all these worries and you know we'd be at school meetings and he'd have his arms tight really crossed and you know he would never mm. want to advocate and fight for his daughter and then you know through working with the family now he's become that parent who will call yeah. things out and question things and i love that i can now step out i don't i don't need to be there you got this so that's where i get my joy from and when i see things out there is when I see it, you know, if I was a part of it and I see it now coming to life, then I could celebrate it that way versus me putting it out. So I got to give a special shout out to my mom, Sue Sanderson. You're yeah, the best. Sue. She is the one who taught me how to be a self-advocate. And she, even in, I'd say like grade six, grade seven, I knew that term. She's like, you need to advocate for yourself. Yes, um, so I have all these concussions. My first one was 14. I'm 35 now. So there's like something like 30 in, in between there. But I also have a learning disability. So that's just like mm-hmm. a fun little thing <laughs> to throw in there. Um, so, you know, I received accommodation from grade 8 through grade 12. But even when I was getting formally accommodated, my mom was like, it's not going to be easy for you. You're going to have to like work harder than everybody else. You're going to have to develop all these strategies, uh, learning tricks just to get through high school and into university. Right. Mm-hmm. And because I was taught from a young age to be a self-starter, a self-advocate, it's what allowed me to fight through these concussions and um, also allowed me to hang into university for as long as I did. You know, about 16 years I went to university. Wow. So, um, and it's all these strategies I learned, all these accommodation techniques, um, tricks and whatever, I just found I just passed them on to my students as soon as I got into a classroom I'm like here guys here this is how you learn more effectively for sure so uh, I think that's really interesting how you take your life experience and directly translate it I have like one kind of question and then we'll wrap up and you can mm-hmm. like leave everyone with some good words of hope and encouragement and also speak on any subjects that I haven't actually raised yet but I was wondering this is something I've always wanted to ask somebody like yourself 
when working with students with disabilities, you've talked a lot about being inspired by them and being inspired just by working in education. I was wondering if you can speak to some of the frustrations of working with people with disabilities and um, some of the struggles that are presented, because I think oftentimes we, we only focus on the positive sides. I was wondering if you could speak to some of the, the difficulties of working with people to, with disabilities. Ah, uh, the difficulties. Um, the difficulties of working with people with disabilities is the difficulties that are in our society. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm trying no, to, yeah. I'm trying to break through. Um, That's cool I get, because honestly, I, that, yeah. sorry, I just got to jump in just, uh, sorry, because it's my show. Uh, uh, <laughs> but that is like, that. that's the stigma right there that you're helping to dismantle because it's not like, oh, God, I'm not struggling because that. I'm disabled, but that. it's, but yeah. it's like everybody is struggling in some different ways. I just happen to also have a disability. Okay, when I'm stressed like, or I'm frazzled, I like rub my eyebrows and I'm doing that right now. <laughs> Good. Because, because I one time had, I, 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 oh my God, I had a, a woman ask me one time um, in front of a student who, who had a very significant disability, um, arthrogryposis to be exact. And she said, how do you know he knows anything? right in front of him. And I said, how do I know you know anything? <laughs> I just, and she's like, she's like, well, you know what I mean? Like, how do you know he knows anything? I go, well, how do you know your students know anything? She's like, well, I do assessments. I go, well, I do assessments. She's like, well, what kind of assessments do you do? I go, I do assessments that can highlight his strengths and also identify his weaknesses. She's like, yeah. well, what, what's he going to do in 10 years? I go, I'm sorry. I didn't know the board hired me to work with him for 10 years. Um, I know what he's going to do in 10 days and by the end of June, but I couldn't tell what he's going to do in 10 years. She's like, well, what's he going to do when he's an adult? I go, what are your kids going to do as an adult? Because I've heard a lot about your kids. And from what I've heard about your kids, they're not going to do much. So what's your point like like it, it, it was this it was just going back and forth back and forth yeah, back and forth yeah. and she's like how's he going to contribute to society I go how do you contribute to society mm. like it, i just kept throwing the question back that is the difficulties the difficulties of working with people with disabilities is me not is is, is me ugh, controlling my emotions because I get very emotional. I get angry. I get sad. I get very protective. I want to shield them. I want to tell people where they have to go. And it's not always easy. And I want people to understand. And that's not always easy. And that is the hardest part of my job. So when people ask me, oh my God, you work with people with disabilities. Oh my God, you must be like such a saint. First of all, I am not Mother Teresa. There are days that I work with kids and I'm like, I don't want to see you for another two weeks. Peace out. You just drove me mad today because they're human and I'm frustrated and that's totally normal. But when people think that just because I work with people with disabilities, oh my God, that must be so hard. I go, oh, you work in retail? That must be so hard. How do you refold that entire table that people just like, you know, messed up that you fixed? Or how do you tell people they look good in that outfit when you know they don't look good, but you need the commission? It must be so hard. You know, I hate when people do that. There yeah, is nothing totally. hard about my job. There is absolutely nothing hard about my job. What's hard about my job is is the burnout is mm. the it's the system it's the lack of funding it's the lack of mm. resources mm. um and that stuff makes my job difficult if i had all the money if i was a rich teacher <laughs> la, 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 it would be great <laughs> you know what i mean but my frustrations are not because of who i work with it's not it never has and it never will be that's mm. awesome 
Okay, I'm going to somehow get Phil to clip that and send that along to you for promotional purposes. <laughs> fired me up, girl. Uh, can you please leave the listeners, if you're not already burnt out from that uh, beautiful <laughs> soliloquy, can you leave the listeners with any sort of um, thoughts or, um, yeah, just... Final well, words. if we if we want to <laughs> if we want to stay on the 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 track of inclusion accessibility, I always mm-hmm. say um, you could have an accessible office. Your doors could be wide. You could have an accessible bathroom. You could have the right lighting and a ramp and all that jazz. But if you don't have an accessible spirit, you are not accessible at all. It starts with your attitude. It starts with your mindset. If you don't have, you know, all the accessibilities in your environment, you will make things work. I've done it. I've lifted people out of wheelchairs. I've, you know, carried wheelchairs. I've done, I've done two man holds um, because where I, I'm at is not accessible, but I have it in my heart to make sure this person gets in and they're accommodated. So it starts with your attitude and you don't have to be professionally trained or gone to school or read all the books or know someone personally with a disability to understand it. You just have to have really the heart and the attitude and I think because mine is so big and so spongy because of my kids I've been doing this for 17 years and I don't see myself stopping I I, I might stop in in certain environments but in terms of being an advocate and an ally that's 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 lifelong that's awesome so Jamila Gamble amazing person let everybody <sighs> know how they can follow you pay you money so they you can come speak <gasps> and uh hell if they don't even pay you money you might you can pay me in anyway. french fries you can pay me in french <laughs> you might fries. just show up anyway so watch out i might just show up mic. that's so who. T- tell everybody about uh, how they this is my favorite stuff. question because i get to make my little joke at the end so you could find <laughs> me on twitter um and instagram and facebook at i am jam gamble so i am jam gamble and my website is missjam.ca because, you know, jams and everything because I'm that sweet. <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite part. <laughs> ah, I love my saying that. It makes me laugh. Sanderson is because I'm so sandy. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't work, Sanderson. doesn't work. Jam. Take a gamble on me, folks. Take a gamble. You gotta work on my... Take, oh, my... Oh, my goodness. That even took me a second. That pun was so bad. Um... Jam Gamble, Jamila Gamble, yeah, amazing person. I had you. a blast talking. Uh, me to too. You. This was good. This was good Th- self care right here. I this, enjoyed this it. This was yeah. I got a big smile on my face. So I just wanted to thank everybody for listening to Semi Intellectual Musings. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore sim underscore pod. Facebook is at the simpod, all one word. Email the show with any show ideas or uh, words of encouragement. Let's keep it positive, folks. Semi-intellectual at gmail.com. And uh, you can find us anywhere you found this podcast. Uh, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Jamila Gamble, thank, thank you. you very much for joining us Thank today. you. This was awesome. I really appreciate Had a blast. it. And thanks again to Gigi Edgley for allowing us to play your amazing tunes. Looking forward to chatting soon. And thanks again to The Geninator from my new favorite podcast, Meet Me in the Woods, for contacting us and connecting us with Gigi. Oh, and if you find yourself in Little Rock, Arkansas on August 12th, be sure to track down Jenna for her Farscape rewatch party. Gigi and her friends will be performing that day in Little Rock as well. Sounds like a radical time to be had by all. Thanks again, Gigi. We love the tunes. This one is called Closer, 
And when I come back, we'll have a very special thank you section that you will not want to miss. Bruce lips and electric kisses. Duck smiles long awaited wishes. Come a little closer, boy. Melt into me. Around the world, seen a thousand glimpses. With slow touch, I could be your missus. Come a little closer, boy, and fall into me. I'm being the best that you've ever tasted. So how long you gonna keep me waiting?
So thanks for hanging in there, folks. We have a very special thank you section today. So let's start with Coolio from an Ounce of Prevention podcast says, Great show with really interesting content. The hosts are laid back and very interesting to listen to. He goes on to remark, I would highly recommend this show to anyone looking for good information that is also entertaining. Well, Julio, let's meet down at the schoolyard for an ounce of prevention, and maybe I can learn some of the life lessons from prison you picked up without having to go there myself, and the ways accountability can be motivating. Dude, your show is fascinating, concise, and very impactful. Thanks for the review, but more, thanks for the work you're doing. Phil and I think it's really important. Tim Bryan says, Great podcast. Doesn't get bogged down in jargon and makes it easy enough for us Americans to understand. Thanks, Tim Bryan. And thanks for participating in the Chronicity series. Your insights were deeply profound, and the example you have set should be emulated by anyone with a chronic illness or disability. You keep doing you, buddy. Okay, now it's time for some Twitter love. This might be a new mini-segment. Might call it Notes from the Twitter. Probably not. Maybe I should have stopped talking and read what I got written down here. So first podcast that we wanted to give a nice warm shout out to was the I Shake My Head podcast, hosted by two fabulous Canadian women who record from the most compelling place in Canada, some Lowe's parking lot somewhere in Saskatchewan. If that is not a big enough pitch, how about the fact that they have been weirdly supportive of us since we started? Thanks for all the encouragement, even in moments when I simply have to shake my head. Not too vigorously, of course. Dude, ah, I shouldn't have done that. I'm just going to go sit down for a sec. Oh, look, it's a Lowe's parking lot. Wait, wait, why is that car parked off by itself? Why are the windows fogged up and who are those nice ladies talking to? Sometimes you just have to shake your head. And you can follow them on Twitter at I underscore shake my head. Next up is the Drunken Dork Podcast, uh, hosted by Jake and Tom Conker, the Conker Brothers, which honestly sounds like a solid defensive unit for the Winnipeg Jets. But no, they are actually the creative geniuses behind the Drunken Dork Podcast. This is one of those shows that is generally supportive to all, but you two have been especially strong supporters of the live stream for the Cure campaign to raise awareness and money for cancer research. Last year, Nick and Justin from the Epic Film Guys podcast started this weekend-long podcasting marathon fundraising campaign that had the pretty lofty goal of raising 2500 bucks. This year, they want to double it, so if you're able, please find the link in the show notes and consider making a donation. Thanks from all of us in the indie podcast community. Your support means a lot to us, especially at this time. And be sure to follow the Drunken Dork podcast on Twitter at the Drunken Dork. And also find um, them at the uh, Podfix network. So you type in um, at Podfix, F-I-X, into Twitter. And Geeks Worldwide. I think Philly and I will be establishing the Canadian chapter. Keep up the fine work, fellas. And thanks for the continued support. Okay, next up, the Pod Couple podcast has also graciously agreed to participate in the live stream for the Cure 2.0 campaign. They have been spreading the word actively about this campaign and how fabulous our show is as well. So thanks for the continued support, especially how you're helping to foster an active Canadian podcast community. Looking forward to seeing where that goes. And I also got to say, on their most recent episode, they have a phone-it-in segment with Harlan Williams. He's one of my favorite comedic actors of all time. He's a good Canadian kid, too. Um, you can go find The Pod Couple on Twitter at 
you guessed it, The Pod Couple, all one word. And their website is podcouple.ca. Gotta love the .ca domains, keeping it super real. Okay, and the Stranger Lands podcast is one of those super unique D&D shows that is based on a steampunk fantasyscape. Matt and John were actually on episode number two of the Podstuff podcast, hosted by Perry and Lindsay Johnson. So when they heard the news about Perry's diagnosis, um, they really stepped up to the plate. Phil and I wanted to single you guys out for your relentless support of Perry and Lindsay. Unless you're living under a rock or maybe you silenced me on Facebook months ago. But in early May, Perry Johnson from Hello Life WTF and the Podstuff podcast, and hands down the most beloved podcaster out there, was diagnosed with inoperable stage 4 cancer of the stomach and esophagus. Phil and I wanted to take this moment to acknowledge the amazing response of the independent podcast community in rallying to the side of Perry and Lindsay Johnson in this time of extreme hardship. Whether it's as simple as hitting share on the posts that are being made, contributing financially to the GoFundMe campaign, link in the show notes, or making products to sell and forwarding the proceeds to the Johnsons. Seriously, every little bit helps, and I know they appreciate the Hello Life WTF out of it. (laughs) I also wanted to mention the fabulous work done by the indie podcasters in recording tributes to Perry and Lindsay, and also much love to Philly, who very carefully and thoughtfully assembled these messages into a heartfelt tribute that I'll play for you now. Love you, Perry Perry. Be strong, brother. I'm Philip Primo from the Semi-Intellectual Musings podcast. On May 2nd, 2018, Perry Johnson was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer of the esophagus and stomach. The medical bills will be exorbitant, and as friends and fans, we can do something to help. Perry is a loving father, husband, and fellow podcaster. Perry and his wife, Lindsay, are the hosts of Hello Life WTF and the Podstuff podcasts. They have shared their life with us and have helped others overcome hardship one story at a time. Many of us in the indie podcast community have come to be close friends with Perry. The outpouring of support has been incredible. Here are only a few of those messages. Hi, this is Elisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. Hi, this is Cody. And Chris. From BSP, the Idiot Secrecy Files. Hey, this is Chris from Play Comics, and I'd just like to say that you've got to take care of the people that take care of you. Hello, I'm John from the Stranger Lands Podcast. Hi, Perry. It's Megan. And RJ. And we're here. We showed up. We did. Look at us go. This is Patrick from the Sea Dogs Podcast. It's Matt from Semi-Intellectual Musings and the Pot Stuff Podcast. I'm Chris McBrien from Pop Goes Your World. Hey, Perry and Lindsay, it's Paul. I wanted to do this. So, yeah, I'm in my car, no microphone in front of me, no script, no nothing, just, uh, just talking. When I met Perry and Lindsay, it's when they interviewed me on the pod stuff. And I knew right away, I knew from the start, I knew from the get-go that we were going to be friends. And it's not because I geek out over friendship or just because they interviewed me on their podcast. It's because they give friendship. They are some of the most supportive, giving, and kind people that I've ever met in the podcast world. And folks, it is time to give back. We're here to talk about the wonder that is Perry from the pod stuff. Um, I personally know him from kind of the podcasting community and was lucky enough to be able to guest um, on their podcast, The Pod Stuff. And it was such a wonderful time. He and his wife were so giving and so funny 
and just so kind that they made the experience just the most fun I've ever had on an episode. Uh, got to know Perry after he wrote a review for The Stranger Lands. It was a very long review, and it was uh, very funny, and uh, it's one of those that we had to share with all of our friends and our families. Soon after that, we just started talking uh, pretty often. I don't think there's been a week or a few days that's gone by where he and I hadn't chatted or talked. I became a huge, huge fan of his shows, Hello Life, WTF, and the Pod Stuff. I love him, and I hope that we can pull together and get him the help that he needs. Perry's taking care of us, making sure that we have all kinds of joy brought to our lives, and now it's time for all of us to return the favor, come together, and do what we can for somebody who is undoubtedly just a wonderful human being. We just want to say that we're thinking about you and oh did he get shot is that why we're sending thoughts and prayers yep yep we're sending thoughts and prayers because he got shot we're sorry Perry. you deserve a better message than this because you're really awesome and funny and great and we suck thanks obama definitely improved my life brought many many smiles to my face throughout the time that i've known him uh sometimes perry says some inappropriate things and I just burst out laughing in the middle of traffic and the people sitting next to me in the car as I'm at a stoplight just look at me really weird and then I slowly turn down my radio (laughs) and stare straight forward. (laughs) Gotta be honest man I was really nervous when uh, we're getting ready to talk to you but then as soon as we started talking you immediately set us at ease. That's why you and Lindsay are amazing interviewers and quickly became great friends of ours. You love to take care of others. Now you need to allow others to kind of take care of you. Let us help you be strong, P-Bear. Or Perryberry. Still workshopping those. You guys seem like just great people, and I would love to get to know you guys better. I saw your GoFundMe page, and I'll definitely be contributing to that to help any way I can. Just uh, stay strong, man. Like I know times may see time might seem grand or dark, but after hearing all these great people who are on your side and rooting for you, Hope it brings a smile to your face and know you can get through this with us. We've seen the outpouring of support that you've had. And so it's great to see just how many lives you've already touched. It's great to see the support system you have in place. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's not how long you live, it's how you live. Harry and Lindsay, I think they'll appreciate that the whole letter and they flap the pages there. This is my special message to uh, my fellow podcasters, Perry and Lindsay Johnson, to make sure they know they're being thought of and prayed for. And, you know, if my my me man, Perry, needs a laugh, you know, I'll get him a laugh. And you know, if he needs a TiVo, I'll give him a TiVo, you know, uh, in six easy monthly installments. But still. Whenever he was saying his days <laughs> of the week. Tuesday. Yeah, he, he says Tuesday instead of Tuesday. And it was something where I just could not get that out of my head. And now every time, even if I hear just someone say Tuesday... I hear him saying Tuesday in my head, and I kind of go, hee hee hee, in my head. I know Lindsay is a trooper, and and your families are, are hanging in there. Um, Perry, take that to heart, dude, because you, know, you are loved, and you are blessed. And I haven't stopped praying for you um, or your family, so you're doubly blessed. Perry is one of the most supportive uh, people you'll ever meet, um, him and Lindsay, you know. And just one of the nicest guys. So, you know, it's important that we support him at this time of, of his need, you know, because he supported us, supported us all this time as well. You know, I didn't know you guys 
a few months ago that I didn't know who you were, I didn't know what you did, and I just sort of ran across you on Facebook and, and started checking out some of your little live videos and stuff and immediately saw how open and honest and warm and down-to-earth you guys were and was just immediately drawn to you. And then I had the the honor of coming on your podcast and talking to you for a little while and just I feel like I've known you for years, you know? And this is hard, man. This is this is a tough this is a tough road to hoe. And uh you know oh, cancer sucks, dude. And I know you don't want me to get choked up like I'm doing now, and I know you want fighters, so I'm going to be a fighter, and I will do whatever I can do to help you get through this, because I love you guys, and uh, that's it. On my podcast, we talk a lot about purple shirts as a sign of friendship, and so friends, let's put on our purple shirts for Perry. Wearing our purple shirts, standing behind him and behind Lindsay, let's support them, let's fight with them, let's do it, because we're in it to win it. We're here to fight for Perry and for Lindsay. His family needs him, his world needs him, podcasting needs him, and he's going to win this fight. So, love you, man. Get well, Perry. We love you, man. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon, brother. Just so you know, you have a lot of people that got your backs going to do everything we can to help you get through this whole entire situation, be here for you, and anything else you may need, because you've been there for us, even though we didn't even know it. We, uh, we love you, Perry, and th- we think you're awesome, and RJ's nipples miss you. They do, because we always do themed wines and drinks for our shows. We have that now, and we would like to raise a glass for Perry. That's for you. So raise a glass, put on your purple shirts, and join us to support Perry. Here's what you can do. Visit www.gofundme.com forward slash hello hyphen cancer hyphen WTF and donate today to help the Johnson's family reduce the cost of medical bills and help reduce the stress. Our current goal is to raise $20,000. It's ambitious, but together it is possible. In the campaign's first 24 hours, we were able to raise 10% of our overall goal. With your help, we can give Perry and his family a fighting chance. That's www.gofundme.com forward slash hello hyphen cancer hyphen WTF. Please share the GoFundMe campaign as much as you can. Share it to your Twitter, your Facebook, send it to your friends and family. Spread the word. Join Hello Life WTF's Facebook group and follow at PerryJohnson77 on Twitter for updates. Use the hashtag TeamPerry in all of your social media and make sure to pin the GoFundMe link to the top of your pages to show your solidarity. Perry is an important and amazing part of the indie podcast community. Let's all come together and show them how much we care. Thank uh, you. It, it, it's hashtags Perry's got jokes, not hashtag Perry got jokes. Anton. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought it so free. <laughs> Ladies I'm and gentlemen, away on a wing and a prayer. Yes. <laughs> Who can it be? Believe, Believe it, or it or not, it's, it's just, just me. me.